Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 645 of WaveScan for release on Sunday, July 4th, 2021. Happy Independence Day to all of our listeners in the United States. Opening music today is from Easter Island. Today on WaveScan, the Easter Island story. We'll also be telling you more about SDR receivers, software-defined receivers, and our Japan DX reports. Easter Island is a rugged and fascinating island way out in the South Pacific Ocean. It's been isolated and lonely, and it is an island full of intriguing history and custom. Here's Ray Robinson now with the Easter Island story. Yes, thanks, Jeff. Actually, we did expect to be bringing you part two of the Radio Saigon story this week, but we've had to make a scheduling change, and that feature will now be heard next week instead. So, to Easter Island. Easter Island was discovered by the Dutch explorer Admiral Jacob Rochevein on Easter Sunday 1722, and thus its name. It's located in the Pacific Ocean, some 2,000 miles from the west coast of South America, and more than 1,000 miles from its nearest inhabited neighbour, Pitcairn Island, to the west, which is also very isolated. This dot in the ocean, Easter Island, is known as Rapa Nui in their own Polynesian language, and it's the top of an extinct volcano which reaches a height of 1,765 feet above sea level. The island itself is triangular in shape, 15 miles long and 11 miles wide. The main claim to fame on Easter Island is the huge assemblage of strange and somewhat grotesque statues. There are 887 of these monolithic statues, only a quarter of which were ever erected at oceanfront locations, all facing inland. Half of them still lie at the original volcanic quarry, and the other quarter are sited at various locations, apparently somewhat en route to the ocean side. The largest of these stone statues stands 32 feet tall and weighs 90 tonnes. Each of these statues was carved at a nearby volcanic quarry and then transported to a new site near the ocean front. On-site excavations indicate that as much as half of the total height of each statue is buried in the soil. Another intriguing mystery on Easter Island is the strange script, a strange writing that was in use many generations ago and which has still not been deciphered in modern times. Mostly carved into wood, but also with a few examples carved into rocks as stone glyphs, this strange writing shows simple pictures of people, animals and geometric shapes. When the first Europeans visited Easter Island 300 years ago, it's estimated that the total population numbered as many as 3,000. The lowest population figure just 100 years later stood at an actual count of only 111 people. These days, the total number of Easter Islanders, including those who have migrated elsewhere, stands at more than 10,000. 
1888, the South American country of Chile annexed Easter Island. During World War I, the German Navy procured a large number of sheep from the island for use as Navy food, and a German merchant cruiser, the Prinz Eitel Friedrich, dropped a batch of French and English prisoners of war onto the island. They were subsequently rescued by a Swedish commercial steamer. In 1937, Chile attempted to sell the island to Japan for use as a naval base, and around the same era, Chile also offered the sale of Easter Island to the United States, to England, and to Germany, but there were no takers. In 1939, the National Geographic Society in the United States, together with the University of Virginia, planned a joint expedition into the South Pacific. A ship had been chosen, the United States Coast Guard cutter Hamilton, radio equipment had been procured for use aboard the ship and on land, and one of the locations for a base had been chosen, Easter Island. However, due to the opening of conflict on the European mainland, the project was cancelled. If the expedition had gone ahead, that would have been the first use of radio on Easter Island. In 1966, the American Air Force established a top-secret base on Easter Island. Subsequent information indicated that this base served three major purposes. Radio surveillance for the French atomic tests in the Pacific, radio surveillance of Russian submarine activity, and as a backup location from which American astronauts could be rescued after a re-entry splashdown in nearby Pacific areas. Henderson Island, a Pitcairn subsidiary island, was also considered for this base, but Easter Island was chosen due to the existence of basic infrastructure, whereas Henderson Island was totally uninhabited. The number of American personnel on the Easter Island base was generally less than 50, though on occasions it did rise as high as 100. Unfortunately, shortwave communication with the United States was not possible at night back then due to propagation conditions. And after just a few years of operation, the American base on Easter Island was closed abruptly in November 1970 due to a decision on the part of the national government in Santiago, Chile. These days, due to frequent passenger air flights between South America and Easter Island, the island is no longer inaccessible. In fact, as many as 100,000 tourists flock to Easter Island each year. And we'll have more about Easter Island in a future show. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles, California. ago on Wavescan, Aaron Castillo of Electronic Echoes on kpcradio.com in Los Angeles was talking to John Hudson, the co-founder of SDR Play, a company that designs and manufactures software-defined radios. Today we pick up where we left off with Aaron's interview. Now the SDR is a game changer because actually all you need to do is get the chunk of signal digitized 
with sufficient quality that then you can um, you can just have software uh, just analyzing everything out of that digital stream and and being able to to um, you know tune to a particular signal it can add filters and of course today there's a lot more than just voice and uh, you know audio um, there's lots of digital encoding uh, stuff so you've got like DAB radio, DRM for broadcast. You've got a variety of standards for digital modulation for voice, for everything from PMR, public mobile radio systems, through to amateur use and so on. And and then it's just a case of you've got your signal. It's definitely the one you want. You just have to run it through some kind of... Um, digital decoder to, uh, to 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 convert it back into the you know it may be a, a moving picture it may be a high resolution satellite image there's so much out there and this is the the, the great thing about introducing new people to, to radio and how exciting it is that with a with a hundred dollar 120 dollar SDR uh, and a you know, a PC that's less than 10 years old, you're up, you're up, you're off to the races, as we say, you're up and running. So that's, um, I don't know if that, that gives a sense of how that's transitioned from the, uh, you know. Yeah. So we've simplified everything because before we had to have a dedicated circuit that just did the tuning, dedicated circuit that just did this, that made sure the bandwidth is right. We had, now we've simplified it all by, Making it all go into a box that that gets the signal and then converting it. So one of the most important parts of an SDR is the um, analog to digital converter because that's what transforms the radio the the radio signal into the usable uh, data that our computer will then interpret. Correct. That's absolutely right. And then. Um maybe i could say a bit about what goes into and we'll just talk about receivers to begin with obviously there are sdr transmitters tr and transceivers and, and so on our our company is focused from just on the receive side because uh, you know it's just a, a bigger uh, market out there of people and then um when you get into transmission you have to worry about you know uh, a lot of new things like interference and uh, regulations and so on but for um Receiving um, at the heart of the uh, the kind of receivers that we produce is the, as you say, the analog to digital converter. Um, and in fact, some of the cheaper, a really cheap way to get started is to buy one of these uh, dongles, you know, like a Noelec or a RTL SDR V3. Is is it's quite a bit cheaper than our product because I'll tell you why in a minute why ours possible but you can kind of get started and have have some fun <laughs> um there's some limitations though um because inside those is 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 little more than just the a to d and the uh, the tuner function uh, so what goes through to the to the computer um may include quite a few kind of um artifacts or mixed sig uh mixed pr uh, products of locally strong signals and so on um and it they typically don't cover the whole range from one kilohertz to two gigahertz which we do 
Um, but that said, they're, they're a great way to start. Um, and they are typically um, eight bits resolution, so which is is pretty good. I mean, it's a good good enough to pick up reasonably strong signals with if you haven't got too much interference nearby. Um, so what that means, if it's an eight bit A to D, there's a there's a sampling process goes on. If you imagine the you've got your analog signal. And you've got to, dis to, to convert it into a digital stream of ones and zeros. Uh, basically, in real time, you've got this A to D converter making a decision as to uh, what the value instantaneously of the uh, of the signal is. And if it's eight bits, you've obviously got you know uh, 64 different levels of uh, choice, and, and that will. Uh, translate translate to a dynamic range of um, you know it, it I don't I forget the exact numbers but you know you've got 60 dBs or whatever of, of dynamic range which means as long as your strongest signal isn't 60 dB stronger than your weakest um, you're probably going to be okay so the difference between that kind of receiver and the um, SDR play RSPs is what we've done is added a whole bunch of front-end band pass filters. So we split the spectrum from 1 kilohertz to 2 gigahertz. Into, it depends on which model, but like the RSP1A, I think it's 11 different bands. And then the software takes care of seamlessly allowing you to tune across that spectrum. But the, reason, the choice of those bands is all about where um, potential problems might exist of mixing products and out-of-band uh, products. All SDRs, well, all receivers are a compromise to some degree. And like I say, the cheap ones will give you, um, you know, so much performance. If you move up to something like uh, the RSP1A, which is our kind of value product, so we've tried to keep the costs down. It's a it's a plastic box. It, it is coated inside with... Um, with uh, metallization shielding uh, coating, but it's single antenna, a very simple USB interface a socket. It's literally got the two two connections, as you, as you know. Um, but the first thing the antenna gets to see is uh, a choice of all these different bandpass filters. And those introduce a good, you know, 30, 40, whatever, dBs of, um, of bandpass filter to keep the other stuff out. We've also added in some very practical um, broadcast filters because one of the biggest interferers, particularly if you're in a city or close to, um, are these towers, you know, which are pumping out uh, still and will do for the foreseeable future, you know, half a megawatt or hundreds of kilowatts of either AM or FM signals. Uh, over here in Europe, we have DAB, which is up at 200. 20 megs um and so what we've got are these notch filters which um you can just uh, software selectable assuming you don't want to be listening for long distance am signals because actually you'd be surprised we do a lot on support that's where we we have a really good reputation for just answering tickets really fast we all have we're only a small company but we all have to you know target make sure you get the tickets answered within you know two hours four hours whatever um but you'd be surprised how many people you know new to it enthusiastic they say oh i can't pick up any 
you know, surely I could pick up my local FM station and then you find they've got the FM notch filter on. <laughs> so um, those, those again, are examples of the sort of extra things that we've put in there to uh, uh, make the tuning experience that bit better. But back to A to D conversion, we use a 14-bit A to D. So this takes our dynamic range up another 20 or 30 dBs. Um, and it really starts to get us on a par with, I'm not going to claim we're as good as an Icom or a Kenwood or a Yesu, but, you know, it's kind of like, can you, you, you the situations are f fewer and far between where there's a huge difference. So, um, so it gives us really, um, or gives the user, a, 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 you know, pretty, pretty good experience. So we've done stuff like that, then obviously frequency stability, and we've designed the thing. They are bigger than a lot of uh, other similar uh, products, and that again is just to keep the um, you know the temperature down. And um, it's uh, and, and then of course if if you really want to get into this, our RSPDX has additional filters and an additional mode for below two megahertz. It comes in a more expensive metal chunky case. It's got multiple antenna sockets, so you can software select them. And um, it's also got uh, the ability to synchronize to a, a GPS discipline oscillator for people up at VHF, UHF who need, you know, the nearest hertz of, of accuracy. Um, and then we've got the RSP Duo, our top of the range one, which is actually two tuners in one box. And our SDR Uno software that glues all this stuff together. Um, in the case of the Duo, has um, diversity software, so you can get enhanced signal performance using the two tuners simultaneously. And the other cool thing you can do with the Duo is you can you can literally see on your screen on the spectrum display. Um, you can have the top half for one tuner, the bottom half for the other, and you can compare in real time two antennas. And when you think of things like shortwave with the very fading conditions you get, um, it's no good kind of using doing one experiment one minute and then you, you another minute the conditions may have changed. So seeing them together in real time is a, is is a real advantage. I think the other thing I forgot to mention about what's cool about SDRs, um, and that's true for the the cheap dongles as well, is suddenly you've got a visual display. You know, it, it. I sometimes forget because, you know, the last few years, that's all, all I've been involved with. But um, it, people, it's like suddenly seeing um, the spectrum instead of having to blindly just twiddle that dial or, you know, scroll that mouse. Um, you, 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 can, you can see the signals. And after a while, you can tell. You get to know from the way they're moving. Oh, that's a that's a upper sideband, you know, a sync signal. That's a lower sideband. That looks like a, one of these digital mode FT8 signals. And, and sure enough, you tune onto it, hear the audio, and and you you've actually uh, identified something without even hearing it. So it's a lot lot of fun, Aaron. And, and, yeah, I'm glad. To, I had no idea that you'd got one when you called me up for. To, to, to chat so that was a pleasant surprise <laughs> yes it's one of the reasons why because i i know from personal experience it's a it's a very very wonderful being able to see all this stuff compared to the traditional radio being able to like see everything it's a wonderful leap forward now unfortunately i have to say that that's all the time we have today 
I want to thank you so much for your time. And I hope you have a wonderful day in the UK. You can check out SDR Play at www.sdrplay.com. And more info can be found on kpcradio.com. This has been Electronic Echoes, an exploration into the hidden world of shortwave radio with Aaron Castillo. John Hudson there speaking with Aaron Castillo of Electronic Echoes on KPC Radio in Los Angeles about software-defined radios. John is the co-founder of SDR Play. And next on Wayscan Today, we go to Tokyo. Here's Yukiko Tsuji with our Japan DX report for this month. Hello and welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshi Otake, and I'm Yuki Kutsushi. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. Hope Radio via Palao was heard on 9965 kHz on June 8th from 0815 to 0830 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. Religious program was aired. Sarawak FM from Kajan, Malaysia, was heard on 9835 kHz on June 3rd, from 11.50 to 12.15 UTC in Malay. SIO rating was 333. Koran station and talks were broadcast. LSP mode was used to avoid QRM. BBC via Dushanbe, Tajikistan, was heard on 9390 kHz on June 10th from the sign-on at 1530 to 1541 UTC in Korean. SIO rating was 343. News was aired. Radio Iran International via Tashkent, Uzbekistan was received on 15630 kHz on June 8th from 1250 to 1355 UTC in Persian. SIO rating was 353. Interview was on the air. ID was given at 12.57. Radio Liberty via Kuwait was heard on 9525 kHz on June 11th from 15.10 to 15.23 UTC in Turkmen. SIO rating was 453. Talk program was broadcast. ID was given at 15.19. Voice of Turkey was heard on 9.875 kHz on June 7th from 20.45 to 21.00 UTC in English. SIO rating was 3.43. Turkish song was played, followed by the program Did You Know at 20.45 and the Turkish pop music was played at 20.59. Interference by Voice of Korea covered the signal at 2100. Pan American Broadcasting via Nauen, Germany, was heard on 11830 kHz on May 30th, from the sign-on at 1600 to the sign-off at 1630 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. Religious talk and gospel song were on the air. Voice of Nigeria was received on 11769.9 kHz on June 1st from 2042 to the sign-off at 2058 UTC in Hausa. SIO rating was 353. Phone interview and local songs were broadcast. ID was given at 2057. 
VOA via Botswana was heard on 17530 kHz on June 6, from 1503 to 1530 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353, then down to 252. Talk program and a local song were broadcast. ID was given at 15.05. Finally, Japan Shortwave Club will issue the QSL cards for the correct reports on our segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSL card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl at live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl. QSL at LIVE dot JP. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44 Kamakura, which is KAMAKURA, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One IOC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we would like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Tetsuya Toriyumi, Mr. Motofumi Kai, and Mr. Kazuaki Oikawa for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shotab Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. And we leave you today with more music from Easter Island. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, more about Radio Saigon, Part 2, and our Philippine DX report. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for this program to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. Here is the email address for AWR QSLs. It's qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan is simply wavescan at awr.org. 
www.wrmi.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.